You are listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Good morning, everybody. This is Victoria, your dog guru, and I have a huge update for you guys, which will explain the gap that has been our episodes. Also, I want to warn you up front that this is not going to necessarily be the audio cut and quality you're used to, which I'll get to in a second. Um, but just bear with me because I'm really just recording this for you guys right now. And, um, here's why. So recently, uh, my arm was broken and it's the arm that I use for everything. I can't write. I can't, it's quite a struggle for me to type, um, with my left hand. So I'm kind of in a pickle right now, which is why I can't edit the podcast to be all that I like it to be. And I can't, move things around as easily. And right now I'm basically at everybody's mercy at home uh, to help me out doing simple things. So with all of that in mind, I definitely wanted to update everybody on what was going on. And I actually will end up needing surgery for this, or I've been told I'm going to need surgery for this. I haven't gotten to meet with a surgeon yet. Um, so all of this is kind of up in the air. And, uh, as a result, I kind of just bit the bullet and was like, well, this isn't going to be the kind of cut that I would like to give you guys first off. Um, I'm probably going to have ums and ahs and just try to bear with me. I'm doing my best to keep the show going so that everybody gets the answers they need to the questions they have about their dog. But before we get to anything else, I want to give you a very important update. So you've heard me talk about Baldor and the struggles I've had with him, despite the fact that, you know, I've done all that I can to make sure that he was a healthy dog. You know, he struggled with illness ongoing for the first, basically the first entire year of his life and then some. Um, And just... Really, out of the blue, and I wish I could tell you other... I have some suspicions as to what I think is going on. Uh, But kind of out of the blue, his constant urination started subsiding. And it was without warning, but I started noticing there were less accidents, but consistently we were still getting them. I just kept sticking to the schedule and the rotation. Um... To be honest with you, it took two or three people just to keep this dog clean and on that rotation. So this is a very difficult situation. Most people wouldn't necessarily have gone through all of this because it's a lot easier to start over with a different dog. But I really I really bonded very early with Baldor and I kind of just saw him like I see anybody with a disability. I didn't really want to give up on him. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to, honestly, I didn't want to listen to what I was being told. If you want to know the truth, I was told he would never get better. 
um, that this was just how he was and this was it. Um, short of perhaps maybe being able to surgically intervene, which was going to be an insane amount of money without any promise of real results, and it's quite traumatic for the dog, I, I really had no other options. So I got used to this routine, and I loved him anyway, and I cared for him, even though our original plan was he was going to be my service dog. Um... But all of that was kind of put on hold because you can't have a service dog that eliminates in public, um, at least not in, you know, in specific places where they're allowed, like on the grass or whatever. But it, they can't do it in a restaurant. They can't do it at a store um, or in a library. The things that I do in my daily life, I need to know that my dog's going to hold it. So this caused a lot of anxiety and a lot of problems. And without going into too much detail, it was a very heartbreaking process. But I still loved the dog. And I knew one thing, which was I wasn't ready to call it quits. I wasn't ready to let go of him. I had just lost my dog, Bear. And it was, it still is the deepest hurt I've ever felt you know, because I, that he was my service dog for umpteen years. You know, I, I don't know a life without him. And so all of this was a lot to process at once. The fact that the dog couldn't necessarily be a service dog ever because he couldn't recover from this medical problem he had. Um, which if you go into episodes, earlier episodes, you'll actually hear me talk about it. I was very open about this for a reason. Because... Even with the best of intentions, the best medical care, having a behaviorist literally around the clock who's willing to put the dog on a routine, make sure the medication is being administered, keep the dog on a schedule, all of those things were in place and still I didn't, I couldn't have the dog that I originally sought out to get. So I waited it out. I really had no other choice. I wasn't ready, to, like I said, I wasn't ready to lose another dog. Um, and even though I know I could have found a wonderful home for him and would have gone through the appropriate channels to do that and really put the new owners through the ringer to make sure that they were going to be the perfect home, I could have done all that, but I didn't want to. Something was holding me back. And I feel like other than women's intuition, I really don't know what it was, but something was just holding me back. Maybe it was just the recent loss, and I was like, I can't handle that decision right now. Because um, one, hearing about his medical con condition being permanent and losing my dog happened in the, in the same month. So it was a really rough month. Um, so all to the point, it was a very difficult time, and I really wasn't ready to handle any big life-changing decisions. And I remember while giving the dog a bath one day, I just noticed a change in him, like a small change. He wasn't being as boisterous as he normally is. There was just like this maturity about him. And he still acts like a puppy, don't get me wrong. But like there was just this subtle change that I sensed in him. And then almost, you know, out of the blue and without warning... I woke up one day and he was dry, which 
if you know his story at all, you know that he would urinate on himself in his sleep when he was standing. Anytime he was relaxed, um, he wouldn't do it just because he wouldn't. He wasn't doing it because he was excited. He had no control over, you know, when he was going. And it was very sad. Um, but I woke up one morning and he was dry and I was like, well, that was a fluke. Then the second morning he was dry again. I went, all right. And then the third morning and the fourth and the fifth, and then the days started adding up. And now I'm sitting here quite honestly beside myself because I went from raising a dog that was constantly ill. He couldn't even keep like patches of fur would fall out. He wasn't the proper size. He was way undersized. Again, all of this didn't make me love him less because he has such a good heart and he's good to my kid. And if you have kids at home, I don't need to tell you what it means to you to have a nice dog for your kid to be around. It's a tremendous amount of emotional comfort to know that you don't have to be as nervous. Like I always watch my son with my dog, but I don't have to worry about my dog with my son. Do you know the difference? I mean, kids do things that dogs don't expect and become reactive to. But if I'm doing my job, the dog will never have to react. And honestly, he never has. The one time I remember my son by accident tripped and he, he kind of fell on him. Most dogs would snap, like not go off, but they would snap, either nip the baby, just because they were in pain. Somebody just landed on them. You know, he did nothing. He just laid there and then got up and then walked away. That's the kind of response that you really hope for in a dog. And for that and the fact that I early on established some hard core values as far as service dog training, I knew that was in there. Because I had him during his during his imprint period. So I knew that time hadn't erased what I put there when he first came to me. So despite everything he had gone through over the past year, year and a half, <clears throat> almost. It's the training I did in the first four weeks that stuck with him. It made him the kind of dog that checks in on me a lot. Um, since my arm broke, for example, he regularly, and a door won't stop him, he'll pop a door open to come check on me. Um, if I'm sad, he will come out of nowhere and tend to me. Those are things in a dog that <laughs> you're lucky if they sense and always respond to. This dog can sense me from the other side of the house on another, the other side of a door. I don't even have to keep him in the room with me. Like I give him free run of the house. Whereas most dogs, when you service dog training, you train them to be with you and by your side a lot. They're not as independent as most dogs. They live right beside you most of their life. But in his case, I let him be a dog. Like if he wants to lay on the other side of the house in the dining room, fine. Because every time he needs to do his job, he comes out of nowhere to do it. Even when I don't know he needs to do his job, he comes and does it. So perhaps it was that endearing quality or his adorable fluffy face or the fact that I just don't quit that easily. But I wasn't giving up. And I remember the day I sat down and I had that hard conversation like, can I make this work? Because myself, I needed a service dog. And now, essentially, I was becoming a caregiver to a service animal. Well, it wasn't the job I signed up for. And it wasn't really 
the story I picked, but I don't regret it. I think I know I would have regretted giving him up because sooner or later with doing the things that I was doing and giving him time and not giving in and not giving up and staying consistent, eventually his body caught up with him. Despite what everyone, I, I had the best of the best consult on this dog. I called it in favors, you know, and I'm here to tell you that everybody thought that it was a lost cause and he's showing me that it isn't. So if you're sitting here listening to this and you have a difficult situation at home, you have a difficult dog, you have maybe an aggressive dog or a dog with a lot of anxiety, and you're not really sure if you're going to turn the corner, or maybe you're as unlucky as I was and you have a dog that's constantly urinating on itself. I'm sorry that this isn't easy and it isn't what people picture when they sign up to adopt or get a dog from a breeder. Okay. It, it isn't the picturesque story that you frame up initially, but when you think about it throughout our lives, we, we have transitions we go through. If I had given up on this dog or rehomed him immediately, someone would have put him down. Because he would have been just simply too much work. It's a lot of work to wash a dog that has very long hair every day, sometimes twice a day, just to keep him from having sores all over his body um, because, you know, the tissue would get infected. So, I mean, from reams of medication and consulting with the best doctors, not everybody has the right answer. But I felt like my intuition was holding me back. Something about him was just holding me back. And the trainer in me was like, you know what? I got the hard stuff done here, which was I needed him to be empathetic and alert enough that he would interrupt his day to handle whatever it is that he's responding to and alert me and do his job and interrupt things and, you know, whatever task it is that I need. And that is there. So because I knew all of that was there, I know that whatever issues we're having day to day, like minor things that challenges that I know as a service dog, he'll have to overcome. I look, I'm looking at all that like it's downhill from here. Like it's all going to be easy from now on to me. Because the biggest question mark I had was, can this dog recover? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. I have seen him gain in the past month, probably about 25 pounds. I couldn't, no matter how much I fed him, no matter wh what I gave him as a supplement, no matter what I was doing, he was still not gaining weight. We had him on the best food. We had him on a rec regular, but not too intensive, you know, walk schedule. So this way he wasn't burning off a, a, a ton of calories. He's kind of a lazy guy anyway. So that wasn't a huge concern of mine. Um, but anybody else would have probably euthanized this dog because of how much work he is. And I was really honest with myself about that. I thought about it a lot. I was like, nobody's going to last a week with this dog because they're not used to being a medical <laughs> caregiver. But I've been the patient. And I've had my own struggles. 
And while it's not for everybody to probe at, some things are private to me, but this dog needed me. And now I actually have hope. And even though we're a year behind schedule, I know as a trainer, you can teach an old dog new tricks and he's not even an old dog. You know, I might have to tweak his walking and keep his prey drive in check because this dog has a really strong prey drive. So I need to keep those things in check and get him back into work mode because we basically had a year gap. I mean, it's not that he didn't learn his basic obedience. He still learned all of that and we kept the schedule and, you know, but regular tasking, he hasn't been required to do that all the time. He just does a lot of the tasks when he realizes there's a need, which is his job. So I know that enough of what I've done is still there and I can build on the rest of it. You know, it may take longer, it, but I don't want people out there to think that because y there were setbacks, a dog can't be fixed or a situation can't be resolved because this dog is living proof of that. Um, and it happens with aggressive dogs too. I've seen them completely turn personality types when they're given another choice when they're given another solution an outlet someone who understands them then they give their all and this dog knew I wasn't giving up on him and he wasn't giving up on on me either and just because there were setbacks doesn't mean it's too late to fix it now no I would have been out of business if you couldn't fix an older dog or train a dog that's a year or two now, is it more beneficial to work during an imprint period with a dog? Absolutely. That's why I did it. And that's probably why he has so retained so much. But if you just adopted a two-year-old dog or a five-year-old dog, you can teach that dog. In fact, the oldest client I ever worked with was 12 years old. She had never been kept in the house, had never been house trained, she had, she was kind of like a feral dog. I mean, she lived on someone's property, but she had no awareness of like other dogs and that person passed away. And so as a result, the family took on this dog and really wanted to acclimate her to a home and teach her some manners this way. She knew how to behave because they had another dog and, you know, had had success in the past with getting a trainer involved. And this dog was an amazing transformation. I mean, she went from not being able to move around the house easily because she was just overwhelmed to just the sweetest, most affectionate. She'd come out of her crate and, and want to hug on you. And then she wanted to go for her walks. Like she learned that there was a relationship to be valued. No one had ever given her that one-on-one. -on -one. No one had ever spent that time with her. So once someone did, she changed. She went from being withdrawn and I had no idea what her personality type was going to be. I even told the owner, I was like, the dog you're dropping off to me and the dog you're going to pick up are going to be two different dogs. I said, because right now she's gone from no human interaction and just being fed to constant round the clock care and having somebody who's getting under the hood behaviorally and with her emotions and teaching her social skills and constructive obedience skills. 
while acclimating her to a home and acclimating her to a schedule and the things that people do that can trigger dogs, loud noises. And with that particular case, I made good on my word. When they came to pick up this dog, they were kind of beside themselves because they greeted me at the door and the dog was right beside me. And she was so skittish and shy before, she had no interest in meeting anybody at the door before. You know, she was too afraid. And they just saw such a level of confidence in her they they had never seen before. And then they were like, well, is she still nervous around other dogs? And I brought out my other dogs and she was hanging out with them. And they were like, just so happy that she was able to make so many emotional changes. Because remind yourself, 12-year-old dog here, you know, it was not too late. And in Baldor's case, if I have to spend a year or, I mean, most service dogs take two or three years to fully train, if you want to know the truth. I have taught dogs that were not previously service animals how to do service work and task for their owners at advanced ages, you know, four or five, um, and one was older than that. But I try not to train them too, too late in life because it's not that they couldn't learn the job. It's that the owner won't have enough time to benefit from the training because the dog's life is still not as long as we would prefer. Most service dogs are retu- retired very early um, because it's a, an intense job they do. And you start you know, prepping your understudy. Every time you kind of know it's about time to retire the other dog. Now, I had setbacks of my own, and one of them was it's hard to find the right fit, a dog that you feel like has a good bond with you, but also can reject outside stimuli. And that can be trained to an extent, but if their motivation is to like see everybody in the neighborhood, it's going to be very difficult to break that cycle. And it is true that not all dogs are suited for service work. That is true. But I'm not going to tell you that because of a dog's age, they couldn't be trained to be a service animal. That's not what's going to hold them back. It's going to be other things like if they have triggers that you've never addressed, if they've never been socialized, those things are going to add time to your training because those are holes that were already there. And now you're asking to intensify all of that. Now I'll tell you an interesting story. I had a client that called me. Her dog had never been trained for service work, but the client found out that the dog was actually sensing um, her blood, her blood sugar level dropping and would or maybe telling her when it was high. I can't remember exactly which. It's been many years. Anyway, I'm sure um, people who are diabetic are listening to this and rolling over in their chairs, and I'm sorry. Uh, But anyway, long story short, she recognized the dog would act very weird. I mean, just would kind of act out a little bit, and it would stop. And she started noticing that it would only stop when she took her injection and everything was calmed down again. And she says, you know, I'm forgetful and I live alone and I do have a nurse that checks in with me every day. But, you know, what I'm noticing in this dog, I think he recognizes when I need my injection. So is there a way to socialize him and make him a nicer dog to be around for strangers because he doesn't even like the mailman so that he can do this job with me in in, in public. 
And I thought to myself, okay. And then she hits me with the dog's age. He's six. And I told her, I said, okay, well, I want to tell you up front that the dog being six years old means that, yes, I can work on the things that you're asking me to. But I need to caution you and let you know that just in about mm, another year, you should be prepping a new dog to do his job if this is something long-term you're going to want and need. So I already planted the seed that, th that this dog could do his job until she decides to stop the dog from doing its job. Um, some dogs will task even if you stop vesting them. My dog did. Um, Bear was a huge proponent for, I don't care if I'm old, I don't care if I'm retired, until the very, very end of his life, he tasked. Um, I would never ask him to, but if he sensed something, he would respond to it because he was actually the one, the first one to know anything was wrong with me. Not even a doctor knew. The dog figured out what was wrong with me before a doctor did. And then I started reporting what my dog was doing and my doctor goes, I think he's signaling to you. I think he's telling you that something is wrong. Um, but long story short, Yes, we did work with the dog. Yes, he was able to be really well socialized. And because he was a smaller breed, he actually did live a longer life than most dogs. And she did train another uh, another dog in understudy. Um, we ended up working together for that dog also. I think it's really important to educate clients and explain to them why a service dog needs to be so well behaved. If you go out to Target or Walmart right now, I guarantee you, you're going to see somebody with a quote, I'm going to do bunny ears with my one hand, service dogs that are in dog carriages and things like that. Now, I am not here to judge someone with a disability. I have one, okay? I understand. But for those of you who are abusing the system, you're making it very difficult for people like me. For people like me who get looked at like, well, you look fine. I mean, short of my arm being broken right now, nobody would know I'm disabled. Okay. Not all disabilities are visible. And I want to put this in perspective for people because when you have a disability and you're at the grocery store and people pull out an iPhone to take photos of you, it can be embarrassing. I've gotten used to it to an extent, but it kind of aggravates my anxiety because honestly, like, no offense, I'm not paparazzi worthy, you know? So if you're in a store, I'll be honest, most people will just ignore my existence and let me go about my day. But there are some people that'll come up to me and be like, what's wrong with you? That's a quote. What's wrong with me? Well, I don't have all day. <laughs> you know, honestly, I just want the lettuce. I, I'm, I'm giving you the perspective of the person who doesn't necessarily want to have this conversation. Okay, it's not that people are trying to be rude or dismissive or that they don't care that you're interested. It's that, honestly, this happens a lot to us. <laughs> people are always coming up to the dog and wanting to pet it. And we are always chastised, sometimes by people, or if a child comes up to the dog, um, their parents, 
will chastise you for saying, don't pet my dog, he's working. Even if the dog is vested, which by the way, a dog does not need to be vested or have any sort of identification on it to be a service animal, okay? Having a vest doesn't mean the dog is a service animal. However, it should serve as a warning that you shouldn't be petting the dog if you see one. My dogs were vested in public because it cut a lot of conversations off, like I just described. But sometimes there's the opposite response where people will come up and they'll want to pet my dog. And I'll say, no, please don't pet my dog. He's working. And they kind of give you this horrible look like, how dare you? And listen, my dog is not your your kid's stuffed animal. And I am not a zoo animal. I don't want to be on display. I don't really want to talk about it. <laughs> you know, I just want the support for my dog because my dog is my medical device. I can't live without him. So if I, if you see me around with a dog, it's not because he's my pet. The problem that I've seen, and really it's been the past three, four years, I've noticed it's a huge, huge, huge is issue, is people taking dogs into places that they have no business taking them into because the dog is either not a service animal to begin with, or it's an ESA, which Emotional support animals, let's get one thing straight, do not get access to public places, okay? They are allowed to live with you. They are allowed to travel with you. That's pretty much the extent of it. They're not trained, okay? They're not trained for anything. If you train an ESA, you know, to be well-mannered in the house, that's one thing. But it doesn't give them rights or you the right to take them with you. Um, to the old ladies that run around at Walmart and... Um, just wanted to bring Fluffy because they didn't want to be alone. I'm not happy, <laughs> you know? It's, it, it's like I said, it makes it more difficult for people who do have disabilities that people can't e easily see or can't see at all. And it leaves them with questions and more barriers. Oh, and there are these other things, like when we try and live a normal life, like travel to see a relative, or if something serious has happened and we need to get to a place on time. I don't want to have to stop and explain my life story just to get through my day. And it's nothing against the person who's asking. It's just, I w really wanted to put this out there because a lot of people who are disabled struggle with, I see them post online a lot about what do I do when someone's petting my dog? Or what do I do if I'm getting anxiety? Or what do I do when a fake service dog approaches my real service dog? Now, this is my favorite problem because it really is unfor unfortunate for the actual service animal. And I, I'm characterizing a fake service animal as a dog that has not been trained for service work. If it hasn't been trained to task, it's not a service animal. If you don't have a medical condition or a psychiatric condition, and there's really only a handful, that qualify you to need a service dog, then you don't have any business having one. So that's what I mean by if it's a fake dog. Now, I'm not asking you if your dog is a fake service animal, but I can honestly tell. I'll be able to tell because if your dog is not a real service animal, their behavior will kind of sell you out most of the time. There will be some sort of trigger in the time that I see you, if I follow you around long enough, or if I'm minding my own business and your dog gets loose from you and comes beelining for me, I already know that your dog was not trained. 
Because if I drop my leash, my dog's going to stand there. That's training. So for those of you that have service animals, don't feel bad by saying something politely like, please don't pet my service animal. He's working and we're just trying to shop or and, and make the line clear. OK, and for those of you who may have questions, I would be happy to answer questions about service animals for people, because not only do I have one, but I've trained them so I can answer a lot of questions that people will have. And I'm not going to feel put upon because when I answer them, I'm not going to be grocery shopping. I'm going to be on your time. And I really want this show to continue being a resource for people so that they understand that there's lots of layers to dog ownership. Having a service animal is different from having a pet. You know, I cannot live without my service dog. And it became so evident when I lost my dog Bear and my other dog was not ready. You know, when Baldor wasn't ready and Bear was gone, it was just the most rude of awakenings. And as a result, I can't be alone right now until he is ready. So the backlash of this is wide sweeping. I actually did read of an owner. They did not write in, um, but I did read of an owner who had this story. So I feel the need to share it. She was invited to a wedding from a lifelong friend, um, a longtime friend. And she was super excited her friend is aware that she has a service dog and has always known that the dog goes with her everywhere. I will not disclose the reason she needs this dog, but suffice to say, she actually couldn't get through an entire wedding without this dog at her side. And honestly, when she was invited, she probably thought nothing of it. You know, um, bring the dog like she always does. But about a month out from the wedding, her friend actually reached out to her and told her, not to bring her dog, who I, I won't name because, again, this was not somebody who wrote into the show. It's just the story I know of. And she was really stunned and hurt. She goes, well, you know that I never leave without my dog. You know that without her, I a lot of things can go wrong. And she goes, well, it's my wedding and I just don't want a dog there. Okay. I've been married and I've had the super fancy dancy wedding. I'm here to tell you a service dog is not going to interrupt your day. And if it does, then you're focusing on the wrong things. That's my first reaction. My second is I do empathize with the bride, you know, just not wanting any focus to be taken off of her. And let's face it, a dog in the room is going to attract some attention. So I'm sure that's part of it. But the bigger problem I have with this is you're aware that your friend is limited and you waited to say something to her all the way up until, you know, right before your wedding. So she's stuck between a rock and a hard place. And as somebody who is disabled, you know, she knew she could not go to this wedding without the dog. And I remember her asking essentially the peanut gallery, hey, how should I react to this? How should I feel about this? And what I said to her was, I wouldn't be angry with my friend. I would also not attend the wedding. I would definitely be hurt. I would have wanted to share that moment. And I did say to her, if it's a situation where 
an aid could help you get through it without any real serious complications, that might be a plan B. But if that's not really an option, you don't go. A service animal is going to be well-trained. He's not going to cause a disturbance. So your friend has already had plenty of time to be exposed to that and knows that the dog isn't going to be problematic. So this is really just she doesn't want to share the limelight. And I understand that. I'm not saying it's, it makes it any easier, but I understand that. So for all of those reasons, I would just not attend. I would probably send a gift. Um, I will tell you, based on the response that most people gave who are also disabled, they were not as empathetic towards the friend, the bride. They were like, she knew that you were disabled when she invited you. And would she have asked you not to take your oxygen tank if that had been a necessary medical device? Because there really isn't a huge difference. And to that, I have to say, that's an excellent argument. <laughs> it's an excellent argument. And I, I, I really support both sides. I couldn't... I could empathize with somebody and sympathize with her, her pain because I've been excluded from things because I have a service dog and some people get it and some people don't get it. But quite frankly, if I'm not invited somewhere because my dog has to come along and you don't get it, that's fine with me. I don't mind. You know, I'm not going to be sitting here on the bleachers crying my eyes out because honestly, this dog is going to be here whether you're here or not. And I've got friends that understand and I've got a life behind me that I've built largely in part because I had a dog to assist me in the process of living a normal life. So for that and many other reasons, I'll side with my dog. <laughs> you know, they become your lifeline. It's not like a pet. It's one of the reasons why after I lost Bear, there was a huge emotional gap and I needed to take a break because as much as I love my listeners and I love answering their questions, it was a real emotional struggle to hear about other dogs just in general. It was just very painful. So I apologize for any lapse in letters um, and responses, but I am still here for, for you guys. My edits may not be as clean as they used to be, and I promise you after the surgery is passed and I'm up and running on all six cylinders again, you know, you'll get the whole audio experience that you're used to. But in the meantime, just be patient with me because I, I'm happy to continue answering your questions and serving as a resource to you guys. That really is the basis of this show and why I do it. I don't do it because I have nothing else to do. I do it because I recognize that there's so many owners out there that have challenges that they maybe aren't talking about or they can't afford a trainer or they don't know where to start. And for you guys, I want you to email me. My email is found in the show notes, but it's dogguru, here for you at gmail.com. Super easy to reach me. You can email me anytime. I answer every email. And I get a lot of them. And sometimes it takes a while. But I take your questions seriously. Some of you have very similar questions. So maybe I may not read yours aloud on air. But if it's, you know, 10 people writing about the same thing, I'll highlight it in, in the show. So it's they're all getting read. I promise you, they're all getting read. Um, for those international listener, listeners, I do have to make a small note. Um, I know you guys are sending messages through the website, and I so appreciate that. But the thing is, is being that they're in another language, I have no way to translate it. I'm actually not that worldly. Uh, languages, foreign languages was not my strong suit in college. So um, I apologize 
for not responding to you when you, I'm sure you're sending me questions, but I just don't, I can't, I don't know how to answer them for you. So I'm so, so sorry. I have noticed I'm getting messages from all over the world. It's astounding. So when I get these messages and I want to answer them and I have no way of translating them, I just feel kind of stumped because if I use like Google Translator, it's not helpful. If anybody has a great translator though, if you could email me so that I could maybe decode some of these messages from my international listeners, I'd so appreciate that. Um, again, dogguru here for you at gmail.com. As always, if you love the show, you can write a review for us on iTunes or wherever you're listening to us. I know a lot of you hear us on um, podcast apps or on Spotify. Just a reminder, if you haven't already joined us, we do have a Facebook group, Dog Guru Hounds. So go ahead and find us on Facebook and join our group. You can share questions, pictures, stories. It's a great community, so do find us there. Also, new episodes are posted there, so you can check that out. And last but not least, if you would like to donate to the show, you can do so at paypal.me slash yourdogguru. That's paypal.me slash yourdogguru. And that's it for me today, everybody. This has been Victoria, your dog guru. Namaste. You've been listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash blazingcariboustudios.